uh, offerings going around. So as, as uh, the bucket gets past you, go ahead and grab your Bible, and I want you to open to Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans chapter 6 is where we'll be. Uh, appreciate Cody preaching for me last week, and uh, fantastic notes. Good job, man. You finished the chapter, so hallelujah. Uh, something I can't seem to do. <laughs> I got to bring in the closer, man, just to finish it, you know? And so, uh, so this, this morning, the message is entitled, What You Need to Know. What You Need to Know. And I want to just remind us of what our, our study in Romans, where we've been and where we've come from and, and kind of where we're going. Because, you know, when we teach a book of the Bible, if, if, if you don't just remember kind of where we started, you get lost in the woods, so to speak. And so I just want to remind you, we, we started this lesson or, or this series in the book of Romans about 18 weeks ago. Uh, this is, I think, the 17th or 18th message out of Romans. Uh, we started by saying that Romans is probably one of the most important books in the New Testament for the Christian. It is the legal document proving and validating our salvation in Jesus Christ. God used the Apostle Paul as the human instrument. He inspired him. But then God also used a man named Tertius to write it out, to, to scribe out these words. And so Paul himself was not the, the actual human penman, even though God inspired him with the words. Uh, this man named Tertius uh, was the one that did that. You have a wonderful picture of inspiration and preservation of God's word, even in the book of Romans. And then God used a messenger named Phoebe to carry this epistle to the city of Rome. And so there were three important people that we learned about as we began this study. And then we studied chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Romans. And really the main topic of chapter 1, 2, and 3 is sin. Thank God we're not there anymore. <laughs> Thank God we, we taught through that and we moved past that. But, but the point that, that God's Word made in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is that all of the Gentiles are guilty. Those are the non-Jewish people. But all the Jews are guilty. And we're all guilty because we have creation as a witness, we have a conscience that bears witness of God, and then even the Jews had God's commandments. God has not left himself without witness in this creation, and yet with all of those testimonies of God, we still sin against God. And, and, and so we're all guilty because of our sin. That was the first three chapters. And then about halfway through chapter three, the issue changes from sin to salvation, which is good news, amen? Because if you're a sinner, well, you need to be saved. And, and now the book of Romans shifts about verse 21 of chapter 3, and, and it begins talking about God's righteousness and how we can be justified in Jesus Christ. And that word justification is a really important word from the Bible. Justification means God looks at us just as if we had never sinned. So all of chapters 1, 2, and 3, and all of our guilt and our, our sin that God sees in us, listen, when we are in Christ and we receive the gospel, God says we're justified. It's just as if chapters 1, 2, and 3 weren't even written about us anymore. That's a powerful testimony to God's grace. And, and, and so chapters 3, chapter 4, chapter 5 all deal with the issue of salvation and justification. We looked at Abraham in, in Romans chapter 4. We looked at Adam in Romans chapter 5. And we've covered a lot of ground so far. Now, we're going to shift gears starting in chapter 6 because all of those truths that we learned 
really come to, to this point of practicality in chapters 6, 7, and 8. And so really in this next few sections or chapters of the book of Romans, we are going to see the, the, you know, as Alan Shelby says, many of you know Pastor Alan Shelby uh, at Harvest Baptist. He says, you know, if it ain't practical, it ain't preaching. That's what he says. And I say that all the time because that's a really good point. You can know all the doctrine and theology, but if it doesn't make a difference in our lives, what's the point? Preaching needs to be practical. Well, I'm here to encourage you that beginning in chapter 6, man, we're going to learn some practical things that should change the way we live as children of God. And so uh, I want to have you look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And really, the next three weeks, minus the week that uh, Cale and Brooke are here, we're going to be looking at three essential steps to get victory over our flesh. Now, if anybody struggles with their flesh as a child of God, just say amen right now. Okay, you need to go ahead and, and put on your calendar to be in church this week. You're already here. Next week, and then, and then the third week, because you don't want to miss a step in how to get victory over your flesh as a child of God. God is going to give us, in Romans chapter 6, the keys to victory. Step number one is, there are some things that we need to know. There are some things that we have to know, and we're going to cover that this morning. Next week, we're going to see there are some things that we need to reckon. And that's not a South Alabama term. You know, I grew up saying, you know, somebody asked me a question, I would say, well, I reckon. You know, well, I didn't know I was speaking King James. You know, I was lost and still speaking King James uh, English. You know, that word reckon means accounting or to count. So, so we have to know some things, but then we have to, based on what we know, we need to reckon some things. We need to account some things to our life. And then thirdly, we're going to learn in the third week that we need to yield some things to God. And if we'll, if we'll hang on through Romans chapter 6, God is going to give us a three-step process to where we can start really experiencing victory over our flesh. Because we all, we all struggle with that. We all need the practical application of that in our life. Let's read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. We'll pray We'll get what we need from the Lord and, and get on out of here. Verse 1 says this, What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin." I'm telling you, if you write in your Bible, and you should, verse 7 is one you want to go ahead and underline, as, as are all these, but especially verse 7, all right? Let's pray, ask the Lord to, to, to lead us as we study. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time of worship. God, it's not for us, it's for you, but uh, those truths that we can sing and rejoice and, and, and just speak out with our lungs, God, they are truths from your word. Uh, we are thankful uh, that you have saved us, and, and you have redeemed us, and you've made us righteous in Jesus Christ. And uh, we can't give you enough glory for that. Father, as we transition to this next part of Romans, God, help us to not miss the practical part uh, of what we need to learn. Uh, God, we, we can 
know the theology, we can know the doctrine, but we need to, to have a practical difference in our life because of who we are in Christ, because of what we know. And so, Lord, may your Holy Spirit teach us as we compare Scripture with Scripture. God, get me out of the way. But, Father, feed your flock this morning. God, give us the words that we need to hear so that we can be strong in the faith. We love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Three things I want to share with you this morning. Number one is this. There is something that you need to know, and the first thing you and I need to know as children of God is we need to know what our position is in Jesus Christ. We need to know what our position is in Jesus Christ. And and verse 1, well, verses 1 and 2 actually start with three questions. Okay, so, so when you read the Bible, uh, we, we, we're starting chapter 6, but he's going to ask some questions that actually connect back to chapter 5 on some things that, that Paul has already talked about. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And, and so chapter 6 begins with this question, what shall we say then? As a matter of fact, that that same question is found six times in the book of Romans. Can can you understand that Romans is really, uh, God is using the Apostle Paul to build principle upon principle, truth upon truth. And once he reveals a a section of truth, then he asks the question, well, based on what we've learned, what should we say then? It, It makes us think about what we've just learned. We have to consider And so if you were to go back to chapter 5, Paul is referring back to chapter 5, and he's talking about God's grace that abounds. And and, and Cody talked about that last week. It's grace that abounds even greater than our sin. God's grace is greater than our sin. Every sinner in the house ought to say amen right there. And I don't know about you, but man, this this is a chief sinner right here. And, and my sin certainly was great, and it abounded. God's grace abounds more. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15, we learned this last week. The Bible says, but now, not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, and he's talking about Adam. In Adam, we all die. We're dead in our sin nature because of Adam. Much more, the grace of God and, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And again, listen, when, 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 you know, if God said, if God had never said, you're not supposed to lie, don't lie, then, then you wouldn't have known that lying is sinful and against God. But when God gave the law and the law entered, well, your sin was there, but now it abounded even more because God had a standard don't lie. Oh, God said, don't lie. I'm a liar. So now, so now my sin is abounding even more because now I'm acknowledging that based on God's word, my sin is great, right? Well, he says in the same verse, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so, grace, uh, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so listen, the law, God's standard entered in and it, and it made us realize that our sin was exceedingly sinful. But God's grace entered in, and I'm just telling you, man, God's grace abounds greater than your sin. That's why, that's, why, that's why any and every person that comes to Christ and asks Him to forgive them of their sin can be saved. 
There's no sin and there's no sinner too great that God's grace cannot abound beyond their sin. Else some of us would not be able to be saved. Do you understand that? And so listen, God, God tells us, what shall we say then? What shall we say because God's grace has abounded so much? And, and here's the question that, that, that Paul uses as a rhetorical question. We already know that our sin was exceedingly great. We know that God's grace abounds greater than our sin. He asks the second question. Shall we continue in sin that God's grace may abound? In other words, it's a rhetorical question. But his point is, if my sin is what caused God's grace to abound, if I just continue to keep sinning more and more and more, well, won't God's grace just abound more and more? And, and anybody that says that sounds like dumb reasoning, go ahead and raise your hand. Well, that's dumb reasoning. That, that's, that's, that's wrong reasoning, right? Uh, he answers the question, by the way. The answer to that question, oh, lest you be in the house this morning and think that your exceeding sin after you got saved is the instrument to bring about God's abounding grace in your life, he does answer the question. And the answer is, Hey, should we, we, should we just keep sinning so God's grace can keep abounding? The answer is God forbid. God forbid. Now listen, we all struggle in our flesh. We all struggle with sin after salvation. God's going to help us understand why through Romans chapter 6. I just want you to know that the answer to the question is God forbid. By the way, that, that phrase God forbid is found 15 times in your New Testament, 10 of which show up in the book of Romans. <laughs> God forbid. God forbid. It doesn't even make sense. Man, that's horrible reasoning. Why would you reason like that? And then he says this in in, in verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And, And this gets us into this first point a little bit, our position in Christ. And so here's a key principle you want to get down. Positionally, positionally, In other words, if you've been saved, if you've accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ and and asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, positionally, in Christ, we are dead to sin, so so we experienced a death at salvation, and we are alive in Jesus Christ. So you're dead, but you're also alive. You say, how how can that be? Well, God's Word tells us that. (laughs) You're dead to sin. You're alive in Jesus Christ. And, and, and so I'm going to share your, a, a few principles from God's Word. And when you hear these principles, you're going you're to probably think, well, wait a second, that's not me. How can I even be saved? Let me give you an example. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. You know, we're in 1 John on Wednesday nights. I'd invite you to come because what we're tracking in 1 John is actually paralleling uh, the book of Romans right now. Really, really good. 1 John 3 and verse 9 says this. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now, wait a second, man. I prayed to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And yet the Bible tells me that if I'm really born again, I don't commit sin. Well, the new man in you does not commit sin. The the person that is alive in Christ in you does not commit sin. As a matter of fact, the verse says, For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, Because he's born of God. What do you do with that? What do you do with a verse like that? Because you would all say, just like I would say, man, I got saved in 19... You wouldn't say this, but 
I got saved in 1997 at the age of 21. I've sinned since then. I know that's a shock. (laughs) And yet the Bible says that if I'm born of God, I don't commit sin. Well, theologically speaking, the new man in you cannot sin. So that means that you have a new man and you also have an old man. You have a new nature, but you still have your old sinful nature. And, and, and listen, I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm glad you came. You're bipolar this morning. And I, I don't mean that offensively. I, I literally mean inside of you is a new man as a child of God, and inside of you is an old man. And you have a flesh, and you have a spirit. And those are contrary one to the other. And so now, man, you, you just thought you had problems. And now this morning I came to church and found out that I got bigger problems than what I really thought I had. Yeah, there's a part of you that cannot sin. It's the new man in Jesus Christ, the part that was born again. But the reality is that you still have an old man, an old nature that can still commit sin. So theologically speaking, the new man can't sin. Let me give you another principle. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. It says this, for, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with who? With Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Man, you got to be careful when you read the Bible. <laughs> I'm dead, but I'm alive. I'm dead to the law, but I'm alive in Christ. Yes, that's exactly what God's word is saying. And that explains a lot of our struggle, by the way. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so listen, the new man, the new man in you can't live in sin. We use that phrase all the time, Christians living in sin. Can I just tell you, theologically that's impossible. The new man can't live in sin because you're dead to the law. But the old man can still commit sin. And, and the issue, as we work through Romans chapter 6 the next couple of weeks, the issue is, is what we reckon and who we yield to. Because we are dual nature. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 says this, uh, Know ye not that, that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, past tense. That's who you were in your sin. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And how? By the Spirit of our God. That's who you are in Christ. That's the new man in Christ. And and listen, your position in Christ is that you are dead to sin and alive in Christ. You say, why not still struggle with with sin? Well, you need to come all three weeks. (laughs) We have to study the whole passage together. So positionally, we are dead to sin in Christ. But practically, listen, every Christian still commits a sin, still commits sins. So don't don't confuse your dead relationship to sin with its ability to manifest itself 
in your flesh. You are dead to sin, to sin positionally, but sin is still present practically. And that's the, the, the whole topic of Romans 6, 7, and 8. And so for us to get victory, number one, we got to know our position in Christ. You have to know your position in Christ. Number two, is that helping anybody? Number two, you have to know who you're baptized into. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 4. So let's read this together and unpack it real quick. Verse 3 says this, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his, into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Okay. All right. So I, so I already know what you're thinking, because you just read that verse, and you saw the word baptized, and you, without even thinking about it, you put the word water in front of that word baptized, didn't you? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. Listen. You know, many times when we read the Bible, we insert water before we see that word baptism. When we see that word baptism, I just want you to know, it's not preceded by water in Romans chapter 6. Water baptism is not what puts us into Jesus Christ. I'm going to prove it to you in just a second. The word baptize in your Bible means to immerse. It means to dip. It means to place something into something else. It means to submerge and we like to be good students of God's Word at this church. We don't, we don't just take a verse out of context. We try to compare Scripture with Scripture so that God can reveal truth to us. Listen, there is more than one baptism in your Bible. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11 through 12, we're just going to use this as an illustrative point. Many of you that have been through ministry tools and training, you understand this principle. So John the Baptist is on the scene early uh, preceding Jesus' ministry. He says, I indeed baptize you with, okay, I just, I just wanted you to know that, that God, when he, when he needs to, he'll, he'll put it in there. I baptize you with water unto repentance, and he's talking to the nation of Israel. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to, bury, to bear. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, comma, and with what? And with fire. Now listen, if you just stop at verse 11, you already have three different baptisms. You have John's baptism of repentance. Do you, do you see that? You have Jesus Christ's baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus Christ's baptism of fire. Well, what is that? Well, look, that's not the point of the message this morning. So you just have to keep coming and, you know... And we'll, we'll teach you what that means. I just want you to understand that there's more than one baptism in the Bible. Actually, there are seven. You say, well, which one applies to me? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here this morning because I'm going to show you which one applies to you. Whatever Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6 is a baptism that puts you into Jesus Christ. Are we, are we tracking? It puts us into Jesus Christ. And the verse says in Romans chapter 6 that we were baptized into Jesus Christ. We were baptized into his death, which means that we were baptized ultimately into our death. Okay? Well, what baptism is that? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5 says this. I hope you came with pencil sharpened this morning. Look at verse 4. 
There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one what? One baptism. Jay, you just, you're a liar, Jay. You just said there were seven different baptisms. Well, there's really only one, and everything else is a picture of that one. It's a picture. It's a type. It's a similitude of the one true baptism. Please come back at another time. We'll study those seven in detail, as we always do. I just want you to understand, don't read water baptism into the word baptism anytime it's mentioned. As a matter of fact, you're not going to find water in the whole book of Romans. As some authors say, it is a dry book because there is no water baptism that God is speaking of. I also want you to understand that Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, makes a clear distinction between baptism and the gospel. He makes a clear distinction between baptism and the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. Because listen, some would say in our culture, we have to be baptized to be saved. That's what puts you into Jesus Christ. You have to be water baptized to be saved to put you into Christ. Well, Paul didn't think so. Paul didn't, Paul didn't teach that. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, he says this, Now this I say, that every one of you that saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Now listen to what he says. Listen, if baptism is what puts you in Jesus Christ, in other words, that's what saves you. This next verse should not be in the Bible. Verse 14 says, Paul himself says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius. Do you understand that Paul just said, if baptism is what puts you into, water baptism is what puts you into Jesus Christ, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of y'all fools. In other words, you can all go to, if baptism is what, if water baptism is what puts you in Christ, he literally just said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. I'm glad you're not saved. He says in verse 15, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the house of uh, Stephanus, and besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Here's the key in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize. You might want to underline that in your Bible. He did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Paul makes a distinction. Baptism is not the gospel. And the gospel is not baptism, and I'm glad I didn't baptize any of y'all folks at Corinth, but I did come in and preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And if you'll believe that message, you'll be baptized into Jesus Christ. You say, well, how can you be baptized in the cross without getting wet? Well, I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here is the key. At the moment of salvation, there is a spiritual baptism that takes place. And that spiritual baptism is the one baptism that puts you into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 says this, For by one Spirit, by one Spirit, not by water, are we all baptized, here's the key word, into 
Well, what are we baptized into? We're baptized into one body. Whether we're Jews or Gentiles, whether we're bond, we're free, we've been all made to drink into one spirit. And here is the key, church. Listen, the moment that you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, there was a definite spiritual reality happening in your life. The Spirit of God immersed you. He baptized you. He put you into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He he put you in to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and he did it by his Spirit. That spiritual baptism is the one baptism of Ephesians 4, and it is the only baptism that puts you into the body of Christ. So the next obvious question is, well, should I as a Christian, be baptized in water by immersion? And the answer to that is a resounding, absolutely. But that baptism doesn't do anything for you spiritually. As a matter of fact, all it does is show outwardly what Christ has already done inwardly in your life. Does does that make sense? And And so listen, Listen, that is what Paul is saying in in Romans chapter 6. Man, we are baptized into Christ's death. We are baptized into Jesus Christ, into his death, so that ultimately we could be baptized into our death. So now we're dead, and we're only alive through Christ. Does that that help? Does that make sense? So, so, and then he says in verse 4, Therefore... Therefore, we buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. And so listen, your your spiritual baptism put you in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And your spiritual resurrection is like Christ's resurrection in the sense that God moved you from death now back to life. But it's life in Christ. And God, God made you alive in Christ so that you could walk in the newness of life. So I'm going to get preachy for a second. You ready? God raised you to walk in the newness of life. The newness of life. The Christian life is full of new. The Christian life is full of new. It's not full of old, it's full of new. The Bible says that we are a new creature in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become... And most Baptists have a problem with that because they don't like nothing new. Hello? I mean, listen, we can't sing new songs, we can't sing new ser- or hear new sermons, we can't have new paint, new carpet, no new nothing. And I'm a Baptist, so I can say it. All right, listen, salvation is full of new. It is full of new. You are a new creature in Christ. You're not a better creature because, listen, your old sinful self, better, is still old and sinful and wretched. Hello? God, God, didn't, God didn't make you better. He made you new in Christ. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 6, the Bible says that we have been delivered from the law and, we, and that being dead, that we're, wherein we were held, we were in bondage to that law and we've been delivered that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Hello, man. Listen, every Baptist church ought to get a hold of that. 
drop the old and serve in the newness of the Spirit. In the newness of the Spirit. God also says in Ephesians 4 and verse 24 that we are now a new man. Ephesians 4 and verse 24, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And every day, listen, church, when we get out of bed, we have a choice to make. We're either going to put on the old man, we're going to clothe ourselves with the old sinful man whom God saved us from and who is now dead. We're going to wrap ourselves in a dead carcass or we're going to choose to put on the new man who is created in righteousness and true holiness. This is where our position in Christ has to be lived out practically. We have to make the choice to put on the new man. Well, let me give you the last point because I got another hour, but you don't have it, so... Pick it up in verse 7. You got to know that you're baptized into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You got to know that. And that baptism happened the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That happened the instant that the Spirit of God immersed you, He put you into Christ's body. And, and listen, that outward baptism by immersion is a wonderful testimony, it is the first step of obedience. It is a great example and picture and type of what happened to you inwardly. But what happened inwardly has already been done. It's already been done. Number three, what do we need to know? We need to know our position in Christ. We need to know who we've been baptized into. Number three, we need to know where we need to know where our old man is. And again, old man is not a, a term for your dad, okay? Old man is a term for your old sin nature. Verse 5 says this, If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, and again, again, God's just saying, you need to know this. You need to know this. That our old man, this next word is really important. Our old man is crucified with him. It is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Here it is. Listen, God tells us that our old man, here's the key, our old man is crucified with him. Friends, it doesn't say that our old man was crucified with him. And listen, if you have a version of the Bible that says that, listen, nobody's picking on you, nobody's making fun of you, there is a difference between is and was. Was is past tense, is is present tense. And, and I just want you to know that today your old man is crucified with Christ. Currently, presently, he's on the cross of Calvary. Your old nature is currently crucified. Otherwise, if he were not, you wouldn't be able to deal with the sin in your flesh today. I mean, listen, if the only time your flesh was crucified, number one, none of you are 2,000 years old. Okay, I know I look like it, but, but listen, uh, none of you are 2,000 year old, years old. Your flesh was not crucified, was not crucified in the past with him. It's crucified today in Christ positionally. And, and we have to appropriate that. We have to know that because the biggest problem that you have and the biggest problem that I have as a child of God is that our flesh... Our old man 
wants to crawl off of that cross. Our old man, my old man, wants to crawl out of that grave, right? I mean, you thought the walking dead was bad. Listen, <laughs> seriously. I mean, I mean, that's just a snapshot. That's just a picture. That's just a similitude of a Christian that doesn't die to his flesh. The old man's walking around. You know, if you watch that, whatever. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not preaching against that. <laughs> Do we need to start the invitation now? I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying there's a spiritual reality there. There is a spiritual reality. A bunch of old men, dead men, walking around that should be in the grave. That should be in the grave. And, you know, the danger is in, in modern Christianity, we have that every Sunday. We have it every Wednesday. We have it Monday Monday to Monday. If we're not careful and we don't appropriate where our old man positionally is in Christ, well, he'll get off the cross. He'll crawl out of the grave. We won't live in the victory of the crucified life. And we wonder why we still let sin defeat us. That old man is planted. He is crucified. He is dead. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Colossians 3 and verse 3 says this, For ye are dead. And I'm going give to me, give me liberty here for a second, man. Listen, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Dead men don't sin. Dead men don't get offended. Dead men don't complain. Dead men don't cause problems. They don't have marital problems. Listen, they're dead. They're dead. And, and listen, the only life that we have is in Christ. And I'm just telling you, man, if it's the walking dead at your home, if it's the walking dead in your marriage, if it's the walking dead in your relationships, well, that old man needs to go back in the ground and on the cross so that the life of Christ can be glorified and lived out through us because he and he alone is our life. And so that old man is dead. Man, Colossians 3 and verse 9 says this, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Man, take that guy off and put him where he belongs, on the cross. And walk in the new man, Ephesians 4 and verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, Colossians 3 and verse 10, and, and, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of of him that created him. Okay, so look, this morning is just step one. <laughs> step one, we got, we got a lot of ground to cover, but there are some things that we have to know from God's word. We have to know positionally who we are in Christ. We have to know whom we have been baptized into. Does that make sense? And there's only one way that happens. It's not by water baptism. And then thirdly, we have to know where our old man is. And listen, if that old man is not where he needs to be, well, the only one that can put him there is me and you. The only one that can put him there is me and you. That means that I have to make a choice every day. And, and, and let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Probably we have to make that choice several times a day. How about you? You make the choice in the morning, and then you get in the car and drive in traffic in South Huntsville. And, and then you have to make the choice again. This old man is taking over the wheel. 
You know, Jesus didn't take the wheel. The old man took the wheel and bad things are happening right now. I need to appropriate this old man back to the cross. Okay, you turn your halos down, okay, because I've, I've all been around you long enough. And I've actually ridden with some of you. And I, I actually know, I know what I just said was true, whether you agree with it or not. And you probably, you probably got cut off by me in traffic, and I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. That's just my old man. It's the old man driving. That makes sense, though, doesn't it, church? Doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it help us? Man, let's, let's position ourselves in who we are in Jesus Christ. So, so listen, we can't reckon, that's next week, we can't appropriate, we can't count what we need to count until we know what we need to know. Does that make sense? So, so please come back next week, all right, so we can finish. All right, let's pray together and we'll dismiss. Father, we love you. Uh, Lord, I do thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you that, uh, Lord, through the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the victory is secure.